0: Hello Bridgewater family, it has been a privilege to serve as your interim lead pastor these last 19 months. We have seen God continue to use Bridgewater Church to make more and better disciples both in northeastern Pennsylvania and the southern tier of New York. The older I get, the more comfortable I am with how God has wired me, both my strengths and weaknesses. Almost two years ago, the Bridgewater overseers asked me to fill in as the lead pastor of Bridgewater until God made it clear who our next lead pastor ought to be. I agreed to this, but only for a limited time, because I know that I am better for Bridgewater in the executive pastor role. Well, we believe God has made his next step very clear. Myself, along with the other overseers, we are recommending to Bridgewater that we affirm Pastor Josh Jones as our next lead pastor. Last summer, I went to Reed Mullen, the chairman of our overseers, and I asked him to begin watching Josh to see if what I saw in him was accurate. There were three things I was seeing in Josh that Reed quickly affirmed. First, Josh was shepherding the staff at Bridgewater. We have 35 employees on staff and Josh is sought out by them. Josh has a shepherding heart. It comes naturally to him. And he will shepherd our Bridgewater staff much better than I ever could. Secondly, Josh is wise. Over the last five years, I've watched Josh share wisdom in counseling, staff devotions, and as a communicator. Josh understands scripture and he is able to use God's word to encourage people to action. He measures his words and is wise in his delivery. I appreciate that about Josh. The third thing that I saw was Josh is a leader. Josh has demonstrated his ability to lead tough meetings and have tough, difficult conversations. Specifically, over the last almost two years, Josh has been thrust into some situations it would have been challenging for even the most seasoned leaders. Uh, he has demonstrated time and again his God-given ability to lead people through difficult circumstances. If you're looking for a leader, you look for somebody that other people are following. Josh is a leader. Over the last two years, Josh has been given many opportunities to lead, communicate and shepherd. Over this time, he's demonstrated to our leadership team that he ought to be Bridgewater's next lead pastor. This is not a position that Josh pursued or even applied for, but it is one that we really, really believe he fits. I shared these plans with our pastors and our staff, and they were all, to a person, thrilled that we would recognize that Josh not only has what it takes to be our lead pastor, but but he has the vision to lead Bridgewater forward in continuing our efforts to make more and better disciples of Jesus. Uh,
1: Josh. I wonder if you could please share with us a little bit about yourself and your vision for Bridgewater heading forward. Yeah, sure. Hi, church. My wife, Kristen, and I will have been married for 20 years by the time December rolls around. We had the distinct privilege of growing up together. We've got four kids, Cole, who's 17, Maggie, who's 15, Sadie, who's 13, and Gracie, who's 12. I grew up in a great church with a great youth pastor who now happens to be my father-in-law and served God faithfully in high school, college, In seminary by volunteering in many different capacities in the churches I called my home, from Indiana to Pennsylvania. I've served in vocational ministry for 14 years in both New York and Pennsylvania. I will complete my fifth year at Bridgewater Church this summer. I've enjoyed working with Bob Kadlesek to serve and help lead Bridgewater's Montrose campus, and have had the privilege of serving as the director of student ministries. My role in student ministries has helped put me in each of our physical locations to interact with and meet the wonderful people who attend and serve there. More recently, my role in the directional leadership team alongside Brett Bixby and Matt Puzer, has helped me better appreciate the beauty, value, and potential of our church's unique contribution to the kingdom of God. It's been an amazing privilege to be a part of the work God began here over 200 years ago when this church was founded. I serve alongside a group of the best people who love Jesus, live out the mission of making more and better disciples, and serve God with abandon. Let me share a little about my vision for Bridgewater Church. I believe God has positioned Bridgewater Church to do something very specific. He commanded the animals he created to do this. He commanded the people he created to do this. And Jesus commissioned the church to do this, and that is to multiply. Now, multiplication is not some nebulous concept for us at Bridgewater Church. We've seen it over and over again in many different ways. And I believe we are well positioned to see even more significant multiplication. What I believe God has given us to do is make more and better disciples by multiplying in these areas, future campus expansion, future ministry leaders, and future kingdom impact. Let me try to quickly flesh these things out just a little bit for you. First, future campus expansion. I believe God would have us pursue avenues of expansion by campus growth and multiplication. I I believe that there are more locations within our reach who need a gospel voice like ours. I believe he has provided and will provide the resources we need to do just that. Secondly, future ministry leaders. I believe Jesus expects local churches to be equipping people for the work of ministry. And it not only involves a strong volunteer base, but also the tagging tracking and training of future ministry leaders, those who would serve in a vocational role within the local church. We will need these leaders to lead future campuses, to staff the growth of the ministry, and to bless other churches and ministries with gifted and equipped ministry leaders. Third, future kingdom impact. I believe Jesus when he says to whom much is given, much is required. I believe God has supplied Bridgewater Church with a wealth Of resources. So many churches and ministries have blessed us by being open-handed to share ideas, information, strategies, processes, and a number of other valuable things to help us more effectively make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to pay it forward by intentionally positioning ourselves to be a blessing to the greater kingdom of God. We think this will require time, people, energy, and a plan. The future is bright. Jesus said, I will build my church. And we're desiring and planning to see that happen in and through us in more and better ways in the days to come. We are excited to come to your campus to interact with you in the coming weeks.
0: Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you sharing. If you have questions, your campus pastor will be able to answer them or at least point you to someone who can. Please be praying with us through this process. We want God to continue using Bridgewater to make more and better disciples of
2: Jesus. I am, I am really excited about um, you know, this church and, and what God has done in the last 16-some you know, years that I've been here and what God's going to do in the future. I, I see exactly what Brett saw, Pastor Brett saw, and Pastor Josh I'm I'm really excited about him taking this position. What this means uh, for me is I keep doing the same thing I've always been doing. Um, Brett gets to be more in what he said I think is true and a a role that really fits him better. And for us, as far as Josh, what it means is we have to share him more um, with the other campuses. And so he's here this Sunday. He's going to be here on Mother's Day, uh, but he's going to be visiting the other campuses um, in the meantime and afterward as well. We actually, this is something, he's, he, we just, we're, we're basically recommending him to be the head coach of, of Team Bridgewater, and as, as the players, most, most teams are dictatorships, that's not true here. Um, the first Sunday in June, uh, all the Bridgewater members, you'll get to vote on whether you want him to be the lead pastor or not, and so just be praying about that, and that's why, if you have any questions, ask me, ask Pastor Josh. Um, give us a call, talk to us in the hallway, we'd, we'd love to talk to you more, but I, I really am excited about that, what he was saying, that multiplication, man, we need to be a pastor and church leader manufacturing plant, and we need to start more churches. we need to help churches that are out there uh, follow Jesus better, and just give stuff away, Um and and I'm just I'm just excited about the future. So um but we are uh in a series right now, the fight of your life. And this is a new series uh that we're starting in. It's actually the outline of the series. It all comes from God's word, but the outline roughly follows some of the thoughts in a book by Levi Lusco called The Fight of Your Life. And I gave away one of those books in the first service. I didn't think that I should have showed it to you, but anyway. Um But this this is why some people really fail to understand why life is the way it is. So many times I think in life we we don't understand and we're frustrated with it because we don't realize the true nature of life. And and the true nature of life is, is it's not a playground, it's a battleground. Your life is a fight. And the biggest enemy that you have is not Vladimir Putin or it's not some political or military force. In our lives and in our spiritual lives and nearly even in our physical lives many times, our biggest enemy is ourselves. Your biggest enemy is you. And understanding that and, and that aspect of this fight that we're in life really helps put a lot of things in order and makes things have, make some sense. Paul put it this way in, a, in the letter section of the New Testament. He wrote a, a book to the, a letter to the, the church that was in Rome, Italy. And he says this So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me. I highlighted this verse in my Bible, and I have tried to memorize it because it is is so clear about what happens in my life and in your life every day. He wrote this almost 2,000 years ago, and yet it's exactly what we experience. We have this inner battle between, he says, the law of my mind and then this other part inside me. And and so many non-believers, they that the accusation toward Christians is, oh, you guys, you 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 guys aren't rational. You're illogical. You commit intellectual suicide to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and what this this word teaches. And I, I think nothing is farther from the truth. Um, for, for myself, believing in God is the most rational, mindful, intelligent of all the possibilities. And I just don't have enough faith to not believe in a God that created the universe. I don't have enough faith to not believe based on all the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and this is God's word. And so it's interesting though, Paul is saying, on your side is your mind. And and you need to lean into your mind and the rational part of you and away from this other part of you. And I think this other part is called the heart in some places of scripture. But I would say it is the unconscious and conscious desires that we have in us. It is our desires that get us in trouble. In fact, sin is always stupid. And so often we look at choices that people make and you're like, that is so, why would anyone do that? What were you thinking? We ask ourselves this, right? What was I thinking? Well, that that was the problem. We weren't. Thinking. We were just following and going along with our desires and these inner wants, whether they're wants and desires for the approval of others or for something that that will make us feel better or to run away and that desire to be safe or whatever it is. There's this war inside of us. And, And the battle for your mind is the most important of all the battlefields we're going to talk about in this series. If you can win that battle, I mean, you you will, you will win almost everything, the battle for your mind. That doesn't mean, though, that everything can be solved by mind over matter, okay? Just by thinking, you can't make things happen. But what happens in your mind really, really, really does matter. Um, Jeremiah talks about it this way. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The deceptions of our mind, we can... So easily deceive ourselves and rationalize why I'm doing this. No, 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 this isn't crazy. It'd be crazy for someone else, but for me, it makes complete sense. You know, this is, this, it's okay for me and not be okay for you, but for me, it, and, and who can understand the mind and the heart, um, those desires in our hearts? It says here, who understands it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct according to what their deeds deserve. How you think will determine how you act and what you do, and what you do will be what is judged by God. And so he judges even those second thoughts in our head as well. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to declare war on your heart, on your desires that you have that work against the law of our mind and the law of God. And and it's kind of like, you need to, as, he, as, as God does here, examines. He examines our hearts. He examines our minds. And we need to be a little bit more like God, and we need to examine our thoughts and, and our desires as well. Um, outside of the doctor's office, the most significant, long, involved examinations I've never ever had was in airports with something called the TSA, right? It's called the Transportation Security Administration, and those guys mean business. I learned early on, you do not make jokes with the TSA, you know? Like, did anyone put anything, and was your bag unwashed? Only that time the the terrorist put the bomb in it. That is not funny to TSA agents, Okay. So they don't mess around and they inspect everything, right? If you accidentally brought a six ounce bottle of shampoo into your carry-on, kiss it goodbye, right? It's too big or or that bear spray that you forgot about in the bottom of your bag. That is gone, right? Because their job is to make sure that little tin can with wings that you're getting inside of makes it back to the ground safely with everyone safe on board. And so they examine everything everything. And we need to be more like that with our minds. This reminded me of a a time uh, back in 1993 when I went to the Philippines. And as a 22-year-old man, I brought back some souvenirs. And one of those souvenirs was a sword. It wasn't this sword. It was a little bit shorter, but it was actually really, really sharp. Um, This one has trouble getting through butter. Um, And was a Christmas gift from one of my two favorite daughters. So, But anyway, so I had a sword very much like this in my carry-on in 1993. Now, this is before the TSA was really a thing, right? And not only did I have a sword in my bag, but I also had a crossbow, obviously disassembled in order to fit in my bag. And I was with a bunch of guys, and they also had swords, crossbows, at least one other sword, multiple crossbows. Brett was there. I think he had two crossbows. And then, and then in addition to that, um, I didn't have any of these, but they had bought fireworks of the kind you can only buy outside of the United States, okay? So we had the equivalent of several sticks of dynamite in our bags, and we didn't have any check-on bags, because check-on bags, that's for, that's for girls. I mean, guys, you just you use just crossbows, swords, fireworks, one change of underwear, and you're good to go. Like, that's your carry-on. And, and so... We get there and there is one lady like taking everybody's tickets and then asking people questions before you load, you know, you go down that ramp to get on the plane. And so she's asking people and she asked this girl in our group, Kim Gorman, the sweetest, most honest girl you could possibly meet. And and she was in front of me and so the lady asks her, do you have anything sharp or flammable in your bag? And she goes, well... I think I have some sewing scissors. And so they're like, all right, we'll open the bag up. So she puts the bag down, she's opening it up, getting out her sewing scissors. Meanwhile, me and the other guys, we got our bags and we're like, don't make eye contact. (laughs) We just walk right through, nobody asks me any questions, and on board we go. They confiscated her scissors. (laughs) And she gets on board and she was so mad. She's like, you guys have an arsenal. And they took my scissors. And we're like, well, when someone asks if you have something sharp, you say no. <laughs> um, we need to have mental TSA agents and not the little lady that, that let us go by with all this kind of stuff, right? Because it was just souvenirs for us as, as young men and, and nothing came of it. But the, the thoughts in your mind that are lies, and that aren't true, and that feed the desires that go contrary to the law of God, those will destroy you. Those are going to blow up your life, and you need to stop them in their tracks and say, no, That that is not coming any farther with me, um, the heart deceitful and beyond cure. So want to talk about four different kinds of lies that we bring into our, our our lives and that we we um go over and um there is a study done to, just to be clear what we're talking about there's a difference between temptation and random intrusive thoughts and giving into temptation and dwelling on those thoughts right so there's a study done and um they found that people have an average of 500 intrusive thoughts every 16 hours, each lasting for 14 seconds, which reminds me of the saying, 87% of all statistics are made up on the spot. I I don't know how you can chronicle that you have 500 intrusive thoughts in a typical day or or how long they last. That doesn't make any sense to me, but we all know this is true. We've all gone through life and Thoughts that we don't want just pop into our head, and as they categorize them, they found the greatest majority of those are fearful, worry thoughts. Every worry you've ever had is a lie, because worries haven't happened yet. And so things that haven't happened yet, they're not real, they're not true. Now, maybe they will happen, but you don't know. Right? And so you have worries and fears that just jump into your head and then sometimes even more significant things that are, that are really bad or disgusting or wrong and they just pop in your head and you're like, man, where did that come from? So I was with uh, one of my boys and I won't tell you which one because one is 11 and one is 17, I won't tell you, but he was driving. So, <laughs> um, but, and as he's driving, he says, you know, Dad, if I just go like this with the wheel, and he didn't actually do that with the wheel, you know, but he says, if I just jerk the wheel to the left to that oncoming truck, we all die. I'm like, yeah. I've thought that o- often, right? I'm driving over a bridge, and I think, man, if I just went like this, man, it's over. Like, why do I think that, right? I, I'm not suicidal. There's nothing, you know. Maybe it's, you know, just to, to realize I am driving a 3,000-pound weapon, and I need to be careful, right? But but we have these random, in the study, one of the thoughts was pushing someone into an oncoming subway car. like, what in the world? You know, but that doesn't mean the person's a bad person, right? Because intrusive, random thoughts come into our head, but what we need to do is have that TSA agent there saying, oh, we are not going there, right? (laughs) We're not going to think about what happens next. We're not going to... Play through that scenario in our mind no admittance allowed we need to do that martin luther um, started something called the protestant reformation and he said this 500 years ago well this is paul and then i'll get to him so paul said this this is where we need to go finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things That's what we got to do. Think about uh, that worry. Is it true? Well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, so it's not true. Don't think about it. Well, that desire or that, you know, suicidal thoughts, is that noble? No, that's not noble. Well, don't think about that. Is it lovely? It's not. And and we need to do that. So this is what uh, Martin Luther said about that idea, about temptation. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So you can't stop these random intrusive thoughts into invading your mind, but you can say, you're not sleeping on the couch here overnight. You're, you're out of here. You're not building a nest in my brain or in my head. So four different kinds of lies that, that we believe and that we need to show the door and reject. And the first, the first and the last are the most dangerous and the most powerful. And, and this one is probably the most dangerous because they're the most common. The lies we tell ourselves. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, think about these things. I, I, I split lies that we tell ourselves into two categories. There, I'm sure there's more categories than this, but they are the, the I'm a failure lies And the keep sinning lies. So the I am a failure lies are are things like, you know what, you'll never escape your past. You don't deserve to be happy because of what you've done. Like you're 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 always gonna be a failure. Everyone knows it. You'll never overcome this sin. You're just too weak. You might as well quit now right? This, this just, and, and this isn't, these aren't true. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and made Him your Lord, you are a new creation. You, you are empowered by God to, to, to succeed, to do what's right, to live for Him. You're not a failure. You're His child. And you need to openly rebuke these lies that you tell yourself, I think it's good even to speak out loud the truth. Now, maybe if you're in a group of people, that, that might be kind of weird, okay? But, but if you're driving or if you're, you're by yourself or whatever, and one of these lies comes into your head, you're, you're a failure, you don't deserve happiness because of what you've done in the past, you'll never live it down, you've made so many mistakes, you're so, you need to confront it with the truth. And maybe you need to memorize some verses really about it. You know, that, that, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're so ugly. You're disgusting. Nobody wants you. No, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, um, the lies we tell ourselves, because nobody talks to you more than you, probably no one lies to you more than you. And the lies we tell ourselves, we need to stop self-sabotaging our own lives. Stop playing the traitor, right, and listen to what God says. So there's two sides of those. There's the I'm a failure lies, but then there's also the keep sinning lies. Oh, nobody knows about this. Besides, no one will ever find out because you're too smart for that, and it's not hurting anyone, and it's okay, and you know, all the good you do, this is, this is just your one little guilty pleasure nothing wrong with that. These are lies. Sin always hurts other people besides you. This is why God hates it so much. Well, I don't see it hurting. Yeah, not yet. Or maybe you won't even see it, but it will have a price, and unfortunately, you're not the only one who pays the price for sin. And so all of these these lies that we tell ourselves, you know, everyone does worse than what I do. This is not a big deal. I mean, it's not like I invaded a foreign country and I started a war. I mean, God's all concerned with Putin. He doesn't care about my little sins, right, and what I do. Of course, the ever-popular cliche, I could stop whenever I want to. Maybe I'll stop tomorrow, right? It's not, I'm not addicted. I'm not one of those people. But these these are lies. We need to take sin seriously, and we need to live according to the law of, of, of God and, and not our own. Um, back in 2018, an artist by the name of Banksy shocked the entire art world. In fact, the entire world, he had made a painting called um, Girl with Balloon, which was a picture of, get this, a girl with a balloon. So anyway, <laughs> it was in Sotheby's art auction. It was the most expensive painting he'd ever made up until that point. And it, it sold for, I think, 860,000 pounds, which in American means about 1.4 million dollars is what it's sold for once you added all the fees on. And immediately after the sale, uh, the artist had someone planted in the room to push a button that proceeded to shred the painting. He had built in a shredder into the beautiful frame of this painting. And, and here's what went down. we bidding and selling for 860,000. Thank you very much. gets me is those two guys in suits come to, I don't know if they're security, they're going to take the painting away to keep it safe. I mean, I'm sure they paid thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars for security at that auction, many other, you know, very expensive works of art being sold. And so they were all prepared to keep a painting safe from other people. But no one thought to keep it safe from itself. And I think that is a perfect picture of what we do in our lives so often, right? God wants what's best for us. He wants what's good for us. And we just sabotage ourselves. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me. He goes on to say, who shall save me from this this wretched death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the only one that can stop the shredder that we have, all of us. It's built into all of our lives. It's called our sin nature, and it just shreds our lives. And not only can he stop it, but unlike Banksy, he can actually fix it and protect us even from ourselves, but we need to declare war and we need to decide whose side we're on. Am I on the side of my desires and what I want or am I on the side of Jesus Christ and, and maybe even my mind and following that? The lies we tell ourselves, the lies others tell us, especially lies said when we were young, tend to stick with us. And and many times we can spot them and that's so not true. If someone says these lies to someone else, you are a failure. You are just like your father and you're never going to amount to anything just like him. Or you're a quitter. You always were a quitter and you always will be a quitter you're nothing. You're not. And and you know, if we hear someone else say this to a friend of ours, we'd be quick to jump in and say, what? He doesn't know anything. She's she's not speaking the truth. That is so not true. That is, that is not you. That, that. But if it's the wrong person at just the wrong time said to us, many times we believe it. And sometimes they're self-destructive lies like that, sometimes there's self-destructive lies in the fact of the other side of, oh, you deserve better. Why don't you divorce her? Divorce, get, get, get rid of that. You're, you're better than them. You know, Oh, you, nobody, else. it'll be all right if you do this or, 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 or go down that road and, and you know, you, you'll be all right. You're smarter than those other people. You can handle it. Lies others tell us we need to confront them. Um, and then there's uh lies we believe about others. I'm sure that joking comment he made wasn't meant to be funny. he he meant it to really hurt me, right and and uh, th- those people over there, they don't, they don't come over to talk to me because they don't like me. There's, there's an internal story narrative that we have about other people in our minds, and many times that story fills in huge gaps. And just like a TSA inspector, if you put a bag through an x-ray machine in the, in the airport and it looks like there's a gun in your bag, they don't, they don't grab you and throw you in prison and... Pre- no what they do is they open the bag up and they do a little bit more examining. And, and when, when we think negative things about others, maybe they're true, but maybe we need to be more about inquiring than accusing. And so that TSA agent opens up the bag and it's one of those, you know, massage guns, right? And they're like, oh, put it back in the bag, you can go on your way. It's not what it appeared at first. So we just need to be careful. The lies we believe about others, and then this is one of the, maybe the most important, the lies we believe about God. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because it determines so much of our behavior and and what we believe and what we think and how we act. And if you believe God cannot be trusted, you know? Poor little guy. Or girl, I can't tell. Um, but if you believe God can't be trusted, then, then that's huge. You're not going to obey Him. You're going to, you know, if, if, if something bad happens and you don't understand why, I did a funeral yesterday for a 38-year-old man. He's hit by a train. I mean, just... There's so much grief and hurt and confusion in the room. Why? Why did this happen? Why didn't I do this or that or the other thing? And we got to come down to the point of, you know what? Either the problem is I don't understand God because he's smarter than me or God answers to me because I don't understand God, and He's stupid, and I don't, I don't get why He did this, and He's wrong. And, and there's what we believe about God, most important thing about us. God must not be loving, otherwise my loved one wouldn't have gotten sick. Oh, God doesn't care about what I do. I mean, He's He's. He's got bigger things on his plate and my, my life is small and insignificant and I can do whatever I want. I mean, he doesn't really, really care about me. Um, thinking about that Banksy painting, interesting thing now that art experts say it was sold for $1.4 million, and in a normal world full of normal people, that $1.4 million painting would be worth like, you know, 100 bucks now but it's not a normal world is it and art experts estimate that it's worth at least twice the amount now millions of dollars it's worth do you, and the interesting thing is why because it's not about the painting it's about the painter right you could have a beautiful work of art today but but who painted it oh it's someone i never heard of oh it's worthless you know, or it's, it's really an ugly painting, but oh, it's so-and-so, it's Banksy, it's worth a lot. And to me, that just drives me crazy in the art world. But really, our lives are like that. Your worth and value is not based upon your skills and abilities. It's not based upon your, your checkbook balance. It's not based upon the things you've done or the people you've met or anything about you. Your value is not based on you. It's based upon your painter, your creator. And and he establishes your value. And he says, you're priceless. And unlike Banksy who can't unshred his painting, God can put it all back together. I, I love that picture of Kintsugi which is a a Japanese art form where you take a broken bowl that, you know, it was worth something and then it's broken and so now it's worth nothing. But then it's glued together by an artist with a special resin that includes gold in it. And it becomes even more beautiful and more valuable after it's been broken and put back together. And that's what God can do with our lives. Because because he's the one that makes you valuable. And and it is is him we need to live for. And it is his truth in his word that we need to flood our minds with and fight. This world is going to lie to you all day and tell you that your value is based on this or that or if you buy this product then you'll be happy and none of it's true. And we need to get to the truth of God's word and believe what he says and get these TSA agents in our brain activated. The battle for your mind. It's not just about not believing lies. The Bible is all about this. You need to put off and put on. You need to speak truth and not just believe lies. And then as Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is right, noble, think on these things and then the next verse, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Right thinking leads to right conduct and action, leads to a right life and one right life at a time will change this world. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for the truth of your word. I just ask that you would help us to Just guard our hearts and minds and uh, to just just confront these lies within us. And Lord, help us to even help the body of Christ that's here today and, and friends that you've put around us to point out the lies that we're believing. Maybe we don't even realize that they're there and we've just accepted them. But God, help us to know what the truth is. Help us to be in the word, to see the truth. And that that truth from your word would set us free from the lies of Satan, from the lies of the world, and from the worst lies of all, the lies of our own sabotaging hearts. God, help us to declare war, and I pray that through you, that you would give us victory in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.